Welcome. I am Jack Veracis, an independent audiobook narrator. I have 26 books on Audible, four more coming in the coming months. I have over 6,000 reviews. I'm about to start some work with some major publishers. I have some experience in the field. Every time I do an audiobook release on social media, I get several messages from people saying, I want to be an audiobook narrator. How do I get started? What kit do I need? Where do I put the audiobooks? Is my narration style good enough? How can I improve it? How do I win books? So, I thought I would do this series. I put out some adverts on social media and am recording a series of lectures, Q&A sessions live on Discord. I'm taking people through the journey of what I have learned being an independent narrator, the most basic and important things you need to get started, and then we'll move on to narration technique. How can you improve your skills as a narrator? So this is the first episode. We're looking at the most basic ideas. How do I get started as an audiobook narrator? Where do I go? What kit do I need? What's going to make me stand out in getting my first book? I hope you enjoy the listen. It's been edited down from the live, so there shouldn't be too much chat or extraneous information. Enjoy. Okay, so, the idea of this is for me to help out people who are looking to move into the audiobook narrating space. I have been in said space for just under three years, and... I am an independent audiobook narrator, so I am not associated with a publishing company. I just decided, out of thin air one day, that I would become a narrator, and looked into how to do that, and then just started doing it. So you don't have to worry about uh, how do I apply to production companies to start narrating audiobooks. You can uh, just decide to do it one day, and get going. So I, I thought I'd give a very short story on on my progression from uh, before I started narrating audiobooks to where I am now, and from there we'll then progress to, yeah, after that, or maybe during, we'll progress through the kit that I used at the various stages and how that improved as we went along. So we'll start at the beginning with me, uh, and I was basically sat in my lounge, and then we'll progress to me sat here recording this right now. So, we shall start the story. We shall set the scene with Jack Veracy's research scientist. So, I I don't have any education in any sorts of arts or um, uh, public speaking or drama or anything. I was a research scientist and I was writing a thesis and it took a lot of my time and I was being paid up until that point and then when it came to writing my thesis, uh, they stopped paying you, but it was going to take about a, a year to do that, uh, and I wasn't going to be paid. So I needed to look for other ways to gain income. And I could go on the dole. In the UK, you can be paid job seekers allowance, which is £72 a week, but you have to show that you spent 35 hours a week searching for jobs, which to me didn't make a whole lot of sense. So I had read the Harry Potter books to my wife, because she said she'd never seen the movies, and that one day she would. Um, and I said, you can't, you've got to read it. And she said, I'm not going to bother. So I read them to her. And she said, you should be an audiobook narrator. You should try that out just for fun. I imagine, I don't know how to do that. And I didn't know how to do it. It seemed 
like something that you'd had to apply to a production company to do. Uh, and so I went online and I googled how to be an audiobook narrator. And the first thing that comes up is ACX. So ACX is the Audiobook Creation Exchange, and it is owned by Audible. The way ACX works is if you publish a book, an ebook, paperback, hardback on Amazon, you can link that to ACX and it goes up for audition. So along with the link to your book, you uh, upload a small clip, uh, not clip, sorry, a small section of your book, be it a couple of chapters, a couple of pages, some paragraphs, however much you want. So the author uploads this small section of their book and then it goes on to ACX, available for audition. And then anybody who has a microphone, who has created an account on ACX, can record this snippet and upload it as an audition. The limit of ACX, as has already been pointed out, is that you have to be from Canada, US or the UK and Northern Ireland. Which is a problem, because a lot of people want to be narrators that are not from those areas. Now, there's only two ways that you can get an audiobook onto Audible. One is through ACX, and the other one is through a publishing company like uh, Podium Audio or uh, Penguin Recorded Books, uh, sorry, Random House Recorded Books, or Trantor, or something like that. So, ostensibly, you have to go through ACX. However, there are other services online that will go through ACX for you. Uh, so Findaway Voices is a good example of this. They're not a publishing company, they're a portal company like ACX. And uh, Findaway Voices will also put the audiobook onto several different websites. So they put it onto uh, Scribid and audiobooks.com. No, is it audiobooks.com? They put it into lots of different places. And also on Audible. But they put it on Audible through ACX. You can't get a book onto Audible without going through ACX unless you're a major publishing company and you have a special deal with Audible. But you can use these other services that will get it through onto ACX for you if you're not in the right area. So, as a uh, wannabe narrator, I created my account on ACX and scrolled through the various books that were are available for audition. The author puts up additional things that they are interested in from a narrator, so they can specify the accent that they would like, the gender that they would like, they can specify specific accents that they want the narrator to be able to do, and they generally give some character voice advice in the in the bottom as well, saying uh, James has a uh, Midwest American accent, um, Ali is a spiteful secretary, that sort of thing. So, if you want to start narrating today, you can log on to ACX and uh, record an audition and upload it and enter the world of audiobooks. It is very simple. But there are some things to bear in mind before you do that, and ways that you can enhance your chances of winning an audition, and ways that you can enhance your chances of actually making money. So, the thing to bear in mind with making audiobooks as a career, or even as a hobby if you're wanting to make money with said hobby, is that there are two ways that you can be paid as a narrator. You can be paid a per finished hour rate, or you can be paid by splitting the royalties. So a royalty share is where the author gets 20% of the sale price, 
and the narrator gets 20% of the sale price. I wanted to add something in post here that I didn't record live. This is true, that the author gets 20% and the narrator gets 20%, but it's not necessarily of the sale price. So a book can cost $30 to buy, but most Audible members buy books with their credits. So on Audible, you buy a monthly membership, and with that membership, you get a certain number of credits. In America, a credit costs about $15. And so if a customer buys your book with a credit, you get, as the narrator, in a royalty share deal, 20% of whatever it costs them to buy the credit, not the amount that the book cost. A per finished hour rate is exactly what it is. You get paid a fixed amount of money per finished amount of audio. So, if the audiobook is paying $100 per finished hour and the book is 10 hours long, you will be paid $1,000. Which sounds like a lot of money. But you have to bear in mind the amount of time it takes to make an audiobook. So, there is a long process in making an audiobook. And I didn't necessarily understand this when I first came to recording audiobooks. So I say I've been doing this for about three years. The first audiobook I made took me a year to make. Pretty much an entire year. Because I didn't really appreciate the amount of effort that went into making a book. So the first thing you do is that you audition. Uh, and before you audition, you want to have a generally good idea of what is going to be in the book. Is it going to contain things you don't want to be associated with? Is it going to have characters and accents that you can't do? Um, that sort of thing. Uh, and then once you successfully get the contract, I mean, ideally before accepting the contract, you need to read the entire book, to, or at least send some comprehensive questions to the author to check that what is coming up in the book you can do and you're happy to narrate. Um, it's always, I have a set Google Doc that contains uh, a load of questions about the contents of the book, uh, explicitly asking several things about, is this in it? Is there this type of thing in it? And I send that to the author before I sign the contract. So, before you start narrating, you must read the entire book. The first book I chose was uh, ended up being 15 hours long, which is above average for an audiobook. Generally, audiobooks are about 10 hours long. It was a fantasy book. It was called Ash to Ashes. You can go and check it out on Audible. I had an old microphone that I had purchased about three years prior because I wanted to record a podcast with a friend. And it was dusty. It cost me about £100. It was a Samsung G-Track. So if you would like to see any of the kit that I use, um, there is a link in the Kit I Use channel. They are Amazon affiliate links, so I get a 10% cut of uh, any sale that's used, uh, purchased from those links, just so that you know. But those are all the, the kit that I currently use, but at the bottom is a link to the first microphone that I ever used. So the author was a lovely guy. He published his book on Amazon, and he was a first-time author. I was a first-time narrator, and he wanted a British narrator because it was a fantasy book. And I think because of Tolkien... People see fantasy and they think English accent. You know, Scottish dwarves and Irish elves and uh, deep voices. So I, I auditioned for that book and I got it. I didn't have any idea how to set up the recording setup. So how I started my narration was sat on the floor 
in my lounge with my microphone resting on a desk with no sound treatment of the area and with a pair of tights stretched over a coat hanger as a pop filter. And that is how I recorded my first book. I uh, progressed to balancing the microphone on top of a series of cardboard boxes so that I could stand, and I built a lectern out of wood so that I could put the pages I'd printed out on the lectern and read as I went. And as I uh, progressed through this, I realised you can't just read a book from start to finish and it takes as long as the book is, because you make mistakes. And when you make mistakes in the process of editing the book together, you have to take the mistakes out. And not only do you have to take the mistakes out, but you have to take them out in such a way that it isn't noticeable that you've taken them out. And this takes some time. They generally say, for every finished hour of audio, it will take you six to eight, in my case many more, hours to actually complete it. I have sold a total of 32 copies of that book. So... Uh, it's not my best work. It was my first work. But the author is a real dude. I was very pleased uh, that he accepted me to do that job. So, I'm now going to explain how my kit then was subpar and how my kit now is different. The first and most important thing about audiobook narration or voiceover in any form is the recording space that you use. Don't worry about your microphone. Don't worry about your pop filter. Don't worry about the computer you're recording on or the boom arm you're using to hold your microphone. Oh dear, someone's put a link. Bright colours flashed between the outcroppings of red sandstone as the copper-toned young man dodged and raced through the craggy fissure. He'd missed his killing blow several paces back and was now running for his life. The great black monster skittered behind him. Giant pincers clicked angrily and the creature's mandibles twitched hungrily as the scent of sun-baked flesh and salty sweat trailed behind its prey. Loose rocks slid out from beneath the running man. He felt himself slowing as his feet continued to lose purchase. With a roar, he launched himself from the floor of the fissure to rebound and climb between the rough-layered rock walls on each side. Okay, right. (laughs) So, if you listen to the sample of that book, you can hear that there is a relatively large amount of echo in the background. And if you're standing in a room, like your lounge, there's a certain amount of furniture that will absorb the sound of your voice, but generally there is a lot of very hard, very reflective walls that your voice will project out onto, uh, come back, and into your microphone, uh, being an echo. And you hear it in the recording. What you need to worry about when recording an audiobook or doing any kind of voiceover is not soundproofing sounds coming in from the outside. It's very difficult to do that and generally you should be recording somewhere that's quiet anyway. What you need to be concerned with and should be your primary worry before you even think about what microphone you're going to buy is the space you're recording in. So I progressed from standing in my lounge with absolutely no treatment whatsoever to standing in my wardrobe upstairs. So I had a big double wardrobe that was full of very big heavy coats and thick jumpers, 
and I put in a mattress topper at the back. It was this memory foam mattress topper that spanned the entire back and sides of the wardrobe. I stuffed it with cushions into the corners and basically added in as much cushioning and sound absorbent material as I could. I created a clip-on frame that held the double doors open and then hung a blanket over the top of the doors down behind me. Thank you, Logan. That is my most recent audiobook. Uh, yeah, that was released just a, uh, a couple of days ago. I said ahead slow. You don't want me to have to tell you again. A gruff voice shouted as someone opened the hatch to the top deck and descended the narrow stairway leading to where he and the others were chained up. The small man next to Larson nudged him again, trying in vain to pull the oar on his own. Larson wasn't sure what the deal was, so he went along with the others, pulling in time to the angry orc tapping the handle of his whip on a support beam. What have I gotten myself into? Larson muttered under his breath. I didn't say you could mumble! The orc stomped his way toward Larson. You maggot! He grumbled toward Larson's rowing companion. And so uh, I stood in this wardrobe and I recorded close to uh, between 15 and 20 books standing in a wardrobe. And if I'm completely honest, you could do your entire audiobook career professionally in a wardrobe. I improved the sound absorbent qualities of the wardrobe as time went on. But if you do it a good enough job and you have a quiet enough space that you're in in your house, like you haven't got a loud road outside, you can record a lot of books in a wardrobe. You don't really need much else, especially for just getting started. There's an absolute ton of audiobooks that get put on ACX every day. I generally don't audition on ACX anymore. I I approach clients directly. I have enough of a backlog that I can link to books that I've done and say, look, you've written this book just now. Here's the books I've done. Would you like me to narrate your book? It's sort of a way of getting ahead of the game. And having a uh, a backlog enables me to do that. You can't do that at the start. But there's a ton of books that go on ACX every day. And most of them don't get a narrator. So when you're starting out, you don't need to worry about not getting a book. You need to worry about getting a book that's good enough and is not going to take up too much of your time as your first book. So you basically have to assume that the first book you're going to do is not going to be great. It's not going to sell loads and it's not going to make you loads of money. You're not going to be able to get a paid job. You're not going to be able to get a per finished hour rate. So I'd say it's worth, if you're really serious about going into audiobooks, just taking the dive and doing a short book. So three hours, five hours is is what I would suggest. But if you're nervous about doing that, you can always record record a short podcast uh, or a short YouTube video of some public domain book. Once you've set up your ACX account, you're going to want to upload some samples of your voice, doing the various accents that you can, some examples of voices for characters that you can do, and maybe some short readings from some public domain books. This will give authors something to look at when they are deciding whether they want to hire you or not. 
But generally, they're going to look at the audition that you send them, and I would say, in my opinion, the samples you put on your account are not that useful. They're only really there for people who are about to upload their audiobook and are searching around on ACX for a narrator to hire. Generally, people are going to put the auditions up and want you to audition for their book and hear you read their book with their characters. I've sent authors unrelated samples reading other books, and they really are never going to say yes or even make much of a decision until they've heard you reading their book. I actually have never updated my samples. My samples are back from when I was recording with my uh, £100 microphone. I've never updated them, because people don't check that. When you are auditioning, they're going to listen to your audition. If they like your audition, they'll accept you. If they don't like your audition, they won't. When you're doing higher-up books that are paying hundreds of dollars per finished hour, or are selling thousands of copies, they're going to look into into you more as a narrator and what sort of following you have, what sort of books you've done before, what track record you have with being on time, but that doesn't apply if this is going to be your first book. What you need is to, to have audio that you've done that has reviews and comments on it that you can say, I did this book and here are the reviews to it. People liked it, uh, it's sold this many, or it has this many reviews, or this is what people liked about it, uh, or people can listen to the sample on Audible, and then they know this guy's done an audiobook before. He obviously has the skills and the software and the equipment to do it. The most important thing is the space you record in. So I have progressed from a wardrobe, I now have built a purpose-built uh, four walls and a ceiling recording booth that I record my audiobooks in. Something to bear in mind when you're doing sound treatment, okay? You know those foam squares that are all bobbly, right? They're like waves. You don't need those. They are actually worse than useless. They're very thin. They're like an inch thick at best. Sound, uh, yeah, like egg crate foam. Acoustic foam, right? Those are worse than useless because what everyone does is they think, right, the acoustic foam, that's what I need. I'm going to cover my wall in those and I'm done. But they're only about... They're less than an inch thick. They're maybe a centimetre, maybe a bit more. And generally what happens with them is that the sound goes straight through them, hits the wall, bounces off, and comes straight back. And doesn't have the effect that you want. You need something that's very thick or designed to absorb sound. It's not about... The wavy pattern disrupts the audio wave, but if you're not absorbing the sound, you're not doing what you need. So I, in my now custom-made audio booth, don't have any of those wavy audio... Uh, wavy foam things, it's all completely flat walls uh, with sheets over the top. Uh, so there's like three inches thick acoustic soundproofing uh, mineral wool that is in the walls and ceiling of my booth and that is what will do the sound absorbing, not those acoustic foam wavy bobbly things. Rock wool, exactly. Rock wool insulation, perfect. So people generally think the thing that they need to worry about first is the microphone. And I want to upload a file for you to listen to that I recorded with my phone. Uh, so you can hear what I sound like right now. And then you can hear uh, an audio of what I sound like recording with my phone microphone. I shall record this entire section using nothing but my phone microphone. 
you'll notice a drop in quality, but the quality of your microphone is second to your ability to tell a story. Don't spend your time worrying about the best microphone you can get for your budget. Worry about how well you can tell a story. Get Stephen Fry to read Harry Potter using his phone microphone versus Dave off the street with a $2,000 microphone and tell me which one you'd prefer to listen to. You aren't going to be recording for any big names using a phone, but it's a good place to start to get a feel for what it takes to record an audiobook. You have heard the sample from Ash to Ashes, and you can hear the sample of the phone microphone. And I would say I'm sat in my recording booth with a phone recording that, and it sounds better than the Ash to Ash audio. So there are some issues with that audio, but on the whole, if you're getting started with narration, you probably have a half-decent microphone sitting around your house already. You don't need to worry about I mean, I'm doing myself a disfavour here. You don't need to worry about going out and buying a £500, $500, $1,000 microphone to make your audio sound uber-professional. Your narration style isn't yet going to be uber-professional. Neither is your editing. So, find a cheap microphone that you can start with. And, potentially, your phone or tablet already has a half-decent microphone in it. And if you have a decent recording space, that's more important than the microphone you're using. My microphone I use is an Avantone C12. There are several different types of microphone. There are USB mics and there are XLR mics. So USB mics, which is like my first microphone, a a Samsung G-Track, just has a USB cord that you plug into your computer and you can record straight away. An XLR microphone has a special cable that plugs into your microphone and generally computers don't have XLR ports to plug your microphone into. Uh, You need something called an audio interface which is basically you plug your microphone into the audio interface and you plug your audio interface into your computer. It is extremely simple. There is a link to the one that I use in the kit I use links and you just have an extra box in between your microphone and your computer. There's a couple of dials, but you really only need to turn one of them, which is the gain. And you plug in your microphone, you plug in the power supply, which powers your microphone. This is what I use is called a condenser mic. So it's this long tube, and the power supply keeps it going. And then the audio interface takes the information from the microphone and translates it into something your computer can understand. When it comes to recording onto your computer, you need a piece of software to accept that audio data. When I started with Ash to Ashes, I used Audacity. And if I'm honest, I could still use Audacity now. There are things that my audio software that I use now can do that Audacity can't, but I don't need them. Especially if I'm starting out, Audacity, which is free, you can download it online for free, will do everything that you need. You can edit, you can do effects, you can do noise removal, uh, you can do track multi-tracks. It may not be as efficient, it may not be as easy for uh, team collaboration, but Audacity does absolutely everything you need. Sort out your recording space. Get a microphone that's good enough 
but you don't need to spend hundreds of dollars on it. Record into Audacity. If you've got a half-decent microphone, you shouldn't have too much background noise, but generally, most microphones have a little bit. And there's some extra sound that comes into your recording studio, fans from your computer, uh, wind blowing in the trees outside, birdsong. But it's very easy with modern recording software to select a section of quiet, in inverted commas, from your audio and use that as a sort of background. You tell the software this is background noise and it will remove that from the rest of your recording. Makes it very easy to make your recording sound far more professional. It makes it quiet, exactly. But, I stress again, the most important thing is the space you record in. You don't want echoes. That is what makes something sound unprofessional. Pop filters are not actually entirely necessary. You can record without a pop filter, and if you have proper technique, you don't need a pop filter. Um, I have one on... I don't know. I like the way it looks, and I kind of got used to it being there. What a pop filter does is it stops things called plosives. So a plosive is when you uh, blow air into the mic. So P's and B's are very bad for plosives. So if I go P, you can hear a P, P, a, a different sound that you don't normally hear on a microphone. That's called a plosive. And it sounds extremely unprofessional if you ever have that. Peter popped a bunch of berries. Exactly. But the way that you avoid plosives is not with a pop filter, it's with technique. It's how you say your P's and B's, or... More importantly, it's how you position yourself to your microphone. So you should be about five inches away from your microphone, or sort of put your little finger and thumb out, and then to your mouth and to your microphone, and that's the gap you should be away from your microphone. And you don't speak into your microphone, you speak across your microphone. So I currently have my microphone uh, just to the side of me, and I'm sort of speaking across it so that even if I... It doesn't blow air into the microphone, it blows it across the front of it, so you don't get the plosives. I also try not to exhale too much air when I'm saying my peas, because you don't need to. When I was a while ago, like a year ago, I would even turn my head very slightly when I was doing a pea sound, so that it definitely wouldn't go into the mic. And there are ways you can clean up plosives after the fact. It's never perfect, and sometimes you can still tell, but it's not the end of the world if you get a couple in there. So, we've covered the audio space, we've covered the microphone, we've covered pop filters, audio interfaces, the software that you use. What comes next is actually recording the audiobook. So, at this stage, you've got all the kits, you've got ACX, you've found an audition that you like, you've found a book that you feel either is going to sell well or one that you will enjoy reading and it will be a good experience. How do you make yourself stand out? What technique as a narrator, when you're just starting out, is going to make you desirable? I think the most important bit, the most important piece of technique to bear in mind is pacing. So some people will say you need to give, you know, make your characters distinct. That's the most important thing. But there's actually two trains of thought there are people who do voices. Um, I do voices. Jeff Hayes of Soundbooth Theatre is fantastic with voices. And there's people that don't. Stephen Fry, uh, Scott Brick, R.C. Bray, they don't do voices. 
if I'm honest, if you want to appeal to the most number of people and be as uh, acceptable as possible, you want to go with no voices. If you look at the most successful audiobook narrators, they generally don't do voices. Uh, I like doing them, it makes the process more enjoyable for me, and I think the people who like voices, it makes it far more enjoyable for them. However, you generally will end up with people loving what you do and people hating what you do. So I I generally have um, polarizing reviews on a lot of my books where people absolutely hated the voices and people who absolutely loved them. Uh, And choosing, you have to make a choice when you come to doing a character voice, and that choice has also got to fit in with what you are capable of doing. (laughs) Here we go, here's a review. The narrator was an outstanding choice for the role of the main character uh, and the general vibe of the story. To say he brings a lot to the table in this story is an understatement. The narrator clearly worked hard to produce this, and it shows. His voice even fits the main character perfectly. I don't like this narrator. He sounds like he's trying to add inclinations and emotions to his words as he's reading them instead of planning ahead and how the conversation should go. It sounds vaguely like if a robot were trying to figure out how to emulate human speech patterns and only got it half right. So, those are two different uh, reviews on, on the same book, with the same narration. So that was an interesting experience. In fact, the first review I got on Limitless Lands ever was... This is the something along the lines of, this is the worst narration I have ever heard. Don't buy this book. It'll ruin your life. Not that, not the last bit, but don't buy this book. The, I couldn't listen to it. It was so bad. And that's the first review the audio got, and the guy posted it on social media as well. I was hoping this was going to launch my audiobook career because the book had over 300 reviews at this point. My wife was excited because uh, we had no money and I'd finally stumbled upon something that could earn us some money, and then the first review was, this is terrible, don't buy it. Um, And it now has over a thousand reviews, so that's pleasing. Uh, I think we've probably gone on a sidetrack here. Uh, Oh yes, what makes something engaging to listen to? So, some people say it's character voices, but I think the most important thing is pacing. Pacing is what makes a story listenable and engaging. When you're telling a story, you want to draw people in. And when I am talking, I generally talk very fast, which is probably evident here. But when you're telling a story, you're reading a book. You're not talking in a conversational style, although you should try to narrate in a conversational style. That's for another episode. But when you are reading, you need the people who are listening, the listeners, to keep pace with the story. And when you're trying to download and dissect the information that you've received from this story, understand the characters, what they've said, what's just happened, you're visualising it in your mind, that is relatively slow compared to how fast someone could read a book. And so it's not necessarily the most important thing that you read the words slowly, but the space that you leave between words is important. So... I could say, the narrator was an outstanding choice for the role of the main character and the general vibe of the story. To say that he brings a lot to the table in this story is an understatement. Or, you could slow the gap between the words down. The narrator was an outstanding choice for the role of the main character. To say he brings a lot to the table in this story is an understatement. The narrator clearly worked hard to produce this and it shows. So, 
You're... I am slowing down the words there, but you're also putting pauses in between the words, and it allows people to digest the information as they're receiving it, and then be ready to move on to the next bit. It's very easy when you come to a book uh, that's 15 hours long, and you're presented with this big page of text, and you know that you're only 5% through the book, and you've got to get a certain amount of it narrated today, so that you can get the same amount narrated tomorrow, so that you finish it within a couple of weeks. You see the whole book as a whole, and you think, I've got to get this done, and you rush through each sentence so that you can get to the next one. I found it's to keep it slow and to keep it steady. Practicing reading to my children has been one of the most useful things, because children books are written in sentences. Each page has a sentence on it, and then you turn the page, and the next page has a single sentence on it. And you turn the page, and the next page has, again, a single sentence. And I found that when I approach the story a single sentence at a time, I'm far more willing and able to give each word and each sentence its fair due and give it a rest and a pause between each one, which helps the listener understand and digest what's going on. When I see... Uh, the book as a whole, and I'm trying to read through it and get to this next end of the chapter, or get to halfway through, I find myself rushing a lot more so that I can get there. So ACX, when you log on to that website, will give you specifications for how they would expect, it's not required, but the gaps that they would expect between things. So they say a certain number of seconds between a sentence, and a certain number of seconds between a paragraph, and a certain number of seconds between, say, a letter that's being read in the text, and then back to the main narration. You don't have to follow these precisely, but it gives you an idea that you need to have a break uh, in a paragraph, because a paragraph is done so that there is a break, and you need to let the listener digest what's happened in the previous paragraph before you move on to the next idea, because that's what a paragraph break is, is a denotion of a new idea, a new concept that you've moved on to. Here we go. This is good. It would be good if we can have any questions that you guys would like to add in. I've talked non-stop now for quite a while, so if you have any questions you want to jump in on, go for it. I have found many words and phrases that I find particularly difficult and uh, probably is a word that I really struggle with, mid-sentence. So I should probably do that. It seem, For some reason, it, am I, I seem to just slur through it. I'll probably do that, which doesn't sound right. So I, I'll probably do that. I find what, what I do is, I, to get over it, I really slow down. I think I'll probably do that, and then I go back and I f- speed it up very slightly. I'll probably do that, and it sounds a lot better. Again, speaking slowly enables you to work out words and get around tongue twisters that might exist in the text. American and UK styles of speech, yeah? So, lever and lever, uh, inventory and inventory. 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 Ah, methane, methane, cookies and biscuits. (laughs) There was a question on Reddit about how do you go about recording an audiobook. Is it like a movie in that you jump about uh, to different sections of it and record that, or do you just do it from start to finish? I assume all narrators just go from start to finish. I also record live in Discord whenever I'm doing a book, and so I find it would be best for the listeners to be able to go from start to finish. So there are also two ways of 
recording, uh, which is punch and go versus post-recording edits. So punch and go is enabled in... You can't do it in Audacity from my from what I know, but you might be able to now. There's probably been an update. Probably been an update. Punch and go is where if you make a mistake, and generally people make a mistake... So Caval and I were comparing, and I think the longest gap I could find in the narration I'd just done was four minutes and 20 seconds or something between doing uh, between making a mistake. Uh, uh, but generally, every couple of minutes, I make a mistake. 4.23, is that what it was? And so with punch and roll, what you do is you make a mistake, you roll back the recording, and you re-record over the top of the mistake. And so every time you make a mistake, you rewind and you re-record. And the benefit of that is, is that you end up with a relatively... Pre uh, already edited bit of audio at the end of your recording session. Caval does punch and roll. I do post recording edits. So I have on the list of uh, kit that I use the links in uh, the channel, just uh, uh, just below this the narration lounge. Uh, I have a, a link to a uh, slide clicker. So you know it's got an uh, a LED light on it, and it's got a button to go to the next slide. And it's got a button to go back a slide, and it's got a couple of other ones. And so in Audition, which is the software I use, I change the key bindings so that when I press a button on there, it leaves a marker. So when I make a mistake, I click the button, it leaves a marker, I just re-say the sentence, and I carry on. And then I pay someone, an editor, who she is amazing. I love her, Josie. She is from California. So I send all of my audio to her, and she works through... Uh, using the markers and takes out all of my mistakes, makes all of the timings right, takes out all of my coughs and burps and swallows and sniffs uh, and general scratchings of my beard, and then um, sends it back to me fully edited and ready to go onto Audible. I add some extra effects afterwards, uh, either to character voices or to just boost the general style of the audio, and then it gets uploaded. So those are the two. You've got punch and roll. Uh, I don't like punch and roll because... I, th- I feel like it's not as good to listen to live um, because it sort of it breaks up the process and I don't have my setup with my screen in front of me. You need to have, because uh, I record standing, you need to have your mouse and keyboard and screen right in front of you so you can do that. Uh, I don't have that that setup. Um, so I, I, I pay my, my editor. It also saves me a lot of time. So yeah, there we go. Um, any other questions uh, on sort of the... How do you keep your voice going? That is practice. There are techniques you can use that save your voice. So there's something called lessic training, which is generally used more for stage acting, which is focusing on where you hold your voice. So as a guy, uh, to sound more manly, I generally often think about holding my voice deeper in my throat so that my voice sounds deeper and more resonant, which is great when you're talking to your wife and trying to... uh, to sound as alpha male as you can, but it's not good. So if I if I talk like this all the time for my narration, then I end up hurting myself quite badly. Lessic training is about using the resonant structures in your head. So you're supposed to try and reverberate your voice off the roof of your mouth and teeth. So you hold your voice far more in your mouth at the front and you use the resonance structures that are there that are designed to resonate with your voice and project it out to people and then you don't tire your throat out by graveling it up with your deep resonant voice down there. 
so I try to incorporate holding, if I find my voice getting tired, I move it out from down in my throat, down by my Adam's apple, up into vibrating and resonating off the roof of my mouth, and I can feel it in my teeth, and you should feel it in your forehead. Those are ways that I try to save my voice. So Mark Boyette, who did the Undying Mercenaries, I watched an interview with him with, they did, ACX does these masterclasses where they give advice to narrators and authors. And he did an interview, and in that he said he was trained for the stage and was trained with this Lessig technique of using the resonant structures in your body, and it, he was able to last a lot longer in a recording booth because of it. So I took that on heart, uh, to heart. So I recorded a book called Four Hex. Uh, it was a real turning point in my career. So Four Hex was the by Emberlane. Uh, four, 4X, 4Hex, a lit RPG strategy series. Let me, let me link that. The thing with 4Hex was I decided that I should get better at doing female voices. And so I looked up some tutorials on how to do female voices. And one of them was saying how you basically have to swallow and lift up your Adam's apple uh, and sort of speak up in the in the higher point of your voice. And so I was doing one of the voices like this. I was speaking as high as I could. Hello there. It was the system voice. I'm, uh, what's her name? I can't remember. Uh, And I ripped my throat. I didn't, it didn't rip my throat apart like the gruff voice did. So generally men speak in their throat and women speak up in their face, like behind their nose. But I was used to doing a gruff, growly voice. I... I don't have a gen- I don't have a really deep voice, but I have a, a relatively deep voice already, so I could do that. But changing where I held my voice ruined it. Uh, it I was tensing all my muscles, so th- I'm getting to the point. I looked up some vocal repair things. Uh, let me see if I can find it. And there was one technique that worked really well to sort of fix my voice after a really hard session. Uh, And I don't know why it worked, but it was like magic. So warm-ups are also important. I'm really bad at doing them. But there's also several videos on YouTube. There's a 5-minute one, there's a 10-minute one, there's a 20-minute one that you can do that will just warm up your voice. You don't need to do anything special. You just need to gently start talking or doing sounds and then build it up. If you're going to do a deep voice, you need to be slowly warming up into using a deeper and deeper voice. And if you're going to be doing high-pitched voices, you just need to start in the middle and slowly push your voice like you would warm up for exercises. That's generally the thing that's going to save your voice the most, is warming up. I'm really bad at them. But this, for some reason, worked very well for me in helping fix my voice after just almost ruining it with 4Hex. So uh, that's useful to bear in mind. But you shouldn't ever get to the point where you damage yourself. You should warm up first. But the main thing to recording for long sessions at a time is practice. You just build up voice stamina and you get used to it. Obviously, when you get started, you're not going to be recording eight hours a day every day. It'll hurt yourself. Uh, anything else? Yes. Okay, so in Audacity, you'll notice this if you listen to Ash to Ashes. When I was editing out sounds that were in the middle between sentences, like a swallow or a sniff or something, there's a setting uh, which is, I can't remember where it is, but it's generate 
silence. So I would highlight the section that I had the noise in, and then I would generate silence. That would remove whatever was behind it, and it would leave a nice sounding bit in between. But as you can hear with my microphone in Ash to Ashes, there's a relative amount of hiss in the background, the extra sound. And um, if you generate silence, it's complete silence. And no microphone or space that you're recording in is completely silent. So if you go from a, a tiny bit of background noise, which should be in every recording, to nothing, it's very noticeable, especially if someone has decent headphones. So you can use a, a noise reduction plugin on the whole thing, but you should not just put in complete silence. Because even if you use noise reduction, it doesn't reduce everything to nothing. It just reduces any consistent sound that's there, like a, like a sound that you might get through your microphone. Like There might only be a little bit. So you should use noise reduction so that you don't get that. Don't put in complete digital silence. Also, if you do that, ACX won't accept your audio. They, um, they have standards nowadays. I'm not sure they had such high standards when I started. You don't get a consistent voice tone while recording. Do you mean that your the loudness of your voice goes up and down? That's something I also struggle with, still. Uh, mostly, so I can get the narration pretty level, but what changes is when I add in a character voice, often the dialogue is a lot louder than the narration. That is just a, an element of practice and also Getting into the muscle memory of if I'm about to speak louder, you move away from your microphone, and if you're about to speak more quietly, you move closer to your microphone. And that way you can keep things more consistent, even if you're changing the volume of your voice. That's just muscle memory. When I do a character that's shouting quite a lot, I turn away. So if I'm about to start shouting, I'm looking in almost the opposite direction to my microphone. And then I turn back for the narration. There's always, there's not always the perfect solution, because things sound differently depending on where you are in, in relation to your microphone. So if I get up really close, you can hear a lot more of the range of my voice. You hear a lot more of the bass because I'm so close to it. And if I move away from it, you hear more, less of the bass and more of the treble. And I'm not necessarily changing the pitch of my voice. I'm just changing where I am situated to the microphone. So if you do turn away from your microphone, it does sound different. That's not necessarily bad if you're doing a character voice, because you want it to sound different, but you don't want it to be sound out of place. I think that was useful. I would love to be able to record all of my audiobooks like this. Hello, welcome to Varese's Tavern. Today, we are talking about audiobook production. Uh, I don't know if everyone would love it, and I would get a lot, a lot more plosives. Hello. Right, we're going to have to end in the next few minutes, so are there any other pressing questions that anyone would like to ask? Uh, recording technique, uh, places to go, a kit to buy. Uh, I will be doing another one of these, then we'll go more into actual narration techniques, so how to do voices, what voices you can pick, uh, how to do pacing, how to approach preparing for a book, that sort of thing. So you can come and listen to some live narration, see how many mistakes I make, uh, listen to the character voices that I do, and it might be educational, it might be interesting, it might even be enjoyable. So I will hope to see you there. I think I'm going to have to log off, and it's my turn to have the kids for the rest of the afternoon. So thank you so much for coming and listening. I hope to do more, and we'll see you soon.
Goodbye, everybody.